Hi, this is Kara Kading, and as part of the Milliger family, I'd love to introduce you to our new podcast. Everything we do here at Milliger's is done to enhance the lifestyle of our customers. Our products and services add beauty and enjoyment and just make life a little more rewarding. We are first and foremost growers, and one of the things we do best is to open a world of beauty to people through plants. And plants enrich our lives in so many ways, from cleaning our air to making everyone feel better. And everything else that we do or sell gradually evolved from our wanting people to feel better and enjoy life. All right, I'm here with Kevin Milliger, the tomato king, and we've made it all the way to August now. You've done a great job of educating us throughout your blogs of different things going on in the gardens, some great recipes. I really enjoyed that last one. What was that called again? You know, it was a word, it sounds like a made-up word. It's apparently an Italian word that I was not familiar with, and frankly, I can't quite recall it right now, but it's like unga, unda, unda, I think is what uh, it is. okay. And it sounds, sounds like right. something that maybe is something in the family of the people that made it, something like a little colloquial name or something. I'm not really sure, but it, hopefully it'll catch on. We'll see. <laughs> Do you have any favorite go-to recipes that you've been making with any of the vegetables from your garden recently? Well, my go-to recipe is not unlike her recipe. This is the one that we talked about in that blog. And it's just a, a summer tomato recipe. And in my case, it was called a Caprizi salad, which was first recorded on the Isle of Capri in the Mediterranean and is a mixture of tomato, some sort of onion. It could be garlic. It could be shallots or something in that line some basil and olive oil salt and usually some lemon juice it's something that you can add to many foods like you could put it on a hamburger you could put it on a sandwich of any kind you could put it on eggs you can serve it by itself with some crackers so it's a wonderful refreshing summer treat yeah that's what i love about that one it's just so nice and fresh and crisp and you get all those flavors together and of course coming from the garden it's something i think that's relatively easy you can make that I mean, that's not like a five-minute recipe that is pretty easy to do. Yeah, there's not much to that one. It's very easy. And Deanna, our co-worker here, she said that it's important to leave it out, not to refrigerate it. What she does is she makes it and then doesn't use it for several hours. She lets it sit and sort of marinate and let the salt bring out the flavors. I hear a lot of people discuss or figure out what to do, especially when they're harvesting their tomatoes, to refrigerate or not refrigerate. What's your opinion on that? Well, I never refrigerate. If you notice in the grocery stores, they never refrigerate them there or very rarely. They're just sitting in a, maybe a, I don't even know if it's cooler, but it's usually sitting on a table by itself and they don't refrigerate them. I have seen them refrigerated a few times, but in most cases you see them unrefrigerated. That's yeah, I feel like they lose their flavor that way or something. They do lose their flavor, I think. And of course, most people are critical of store-bought tomatoes to begin with, so I think that they're doing their best they can by leaving them room temperature. To have as much flavor as possible. So we're beginning of August. You have a couple gardens going. <laughs> you have one here right in our office that you've been tending to, and this is kind of our trial garden, and then your own garden at home. A couple few tomatoes up in Door County. But what are you experiencing, or what do you have to report in? Well, I think that it's a, a fairly typical year weather-wise. I mean, it's up and down like it always is. And there's a few cool nights here and there, which 
are not helpful, but they haven't been real severe since you know June 1st or so. It's been pretty steady. And uh, I think the only thing is we're lacking is, is rain. We've been in a drier spell, it seems like. And so you've got to keep up with the watering. And that's important with really any kind of vegetable. But there are certain ones that are much more prone to problems with too little water. And a couple of those would be radishes and another one would be cucumbers. But in order for any plant to produce fruit, it needs plenty of water. So now that we're in the production stage of growing you know, well into it now and have been picking for a while, it's important to keep up with that moisture and keep it level. That's why a lot of people like to mulch their gardens with any kind of a shredded mulch or cocoa beans or whatever. Right, to help so with that moisture. Keep that level. Is there anything that you recommend? You know, I, I just talked to someone over the weekend that said, oh, everyone's really excited in spring. They can't wait to get their plants, get everything going in the garden. They're doing all the things right in the beginning. And she said, well, now once I make it to the middle or end of July, I'm just kind of done. I'm tired. Are the plants going to be okay? Well, I think that in terms of, say, tomatoes, which is, of course, our number one vegetable, I think you have to be watching for blight. And this usually comes in the form of lower leaves on the plant become spotted or discolored or maybe a little bit peaked looking, shall we say. Blight, it's carried in the air, it's carried in the soil, it's in the universe, you can't really do much about it, it's out there. And so you can use a copper spray, which is, I'm not saying it's organic, but it's a spray that is safe to use on the plants when they're in the production stage. It says right on the label. This comes in the form of a spray. Oh, like a copper fungicide or something? Yes, and you can spray the lower leaves and you have to reapply after a rain. And that's why when I do water them, I water down below, do not get the foliage wet. I mean, you'd say, well... What about rain and what about dew? Well, those are things beyond our control, but we do control the watering. That way we can keep the moisture on the leaves to a minimum. So water from down below and then use the copper fungicide on the foliage and then reapply as needed after rain or heavy dew. Okay. That's probably the main thing that I do. Then I noticed in your last blog, you talked about maybe removing some of the leaves, especially in your tomato plant. Yeah, that's usually done earlier in the season, but some people still do it later on. And there are different methods. I guess I never argue with success. So if someone tells me they're doing it and their plants look great and they're heavily producing, I'm not going to tell them don't do it. But I'm personally not into heavy pruning. Well, first of all, there are two types of tomatoes, the determinate or bush, and then the indeterminate or vine tomato. The bush type, the first, is usually a shorter growing plant. So it's shorter growing. And then is it also true that it will only produce the tomatoes for a certain amount of time? Yes, it produces over a shorter time. That's what's meant by the word determinate. It ends at a certain point. So that's why a lot of commercial farmers like to use it because they can harvest mechanically. So if you've got 100 acres of tomatoes and you're harvesting mechanically, you want to harvest them all at once if possible. So that's why they like it. But those types, those determinate types, should not be pruned at all. So avoid any pruning with those. It's the indeterminate ones that some people prune. And you take out the axles, or they're called suckers sometimes, and they are the little growth that comes in between the main stem and the primary side branches. So it's sort of in the crotch of that intersection. And the idea is to have the plant keep on growing taller, quicker, by taking them out. I mean, I have done that some years just as an experiment, but I've never noticed that it's a huge difference. any huge production difference by doing that. And so this year I didn't do any of it. I just let them go. And I'm just, you know. Experimenting, trying, seeing what. 
yeah, I, I don't think there's no really proven way that I know, I've never seen any actual proof that that's a good thing to do. So mine are still producing this year, even though I didn't do any pruning. I guess uh, it's up to the individual what they want to do. As far as harvesting tomatoes, cucumbers, that sort of thing, when is the right time to pick? Well, a lot of these fruits can be picked at almost like a cucumber can be picked at any time. I mean, even when they're tiny and one inch long, they still taste like cucumbers and they're edible. Of course, most people wait till they're full size, but it's important to look at the label of the fruit in question. And so if it says the cucumbers grow six to eight inches long, or for example, then pick them when they're that size, not bigger. It's tempting to want them to get bigger, thinking you're getting better fruit, but it, it tasted in the taste. Is so, yeah, sometimes I've let, like, especially zucchini or cucumbers get too big, and then they don't have any flavor. They're just kind of watery masses. Yeah, the cucumbers should be picked at that right time or they can turn bitter. And so some of them are only like four to five inches long. Those are the ones I prefer. But whatever size you have, pick it at the appropriate size. Same thing with zucchini. If it gets too big, and most people like them less than eight inches long because that's when they're better flavor. Better flavor. Okay. Yeah. And how do you get them to keep producing? By picking the fruit. I mean, let's say you've got a dozen cucumbers that are ready to be picked, but you say, well, how can I eat them all? You probably can't eat them all at once, certainly. And so it's you when you should, become good friends with your neighbors and yeah. you can do some swapping. Right. But you should definitely pick them because that keeps the fruit in production, the plant in production. It keeps the plant thinking, oh, I still have my goal in mind of producing seed, which is the the goal of the plant, to produce seed for the next generation. So the fruit needs to be picked so the plant stays in that mode. It produces more and more flowers. And that's very important with cucumbers and also with peppers. That's why in the early stages of pepper production, even if you're waiting for the fruit to turn red, it's important to pick those first ones when they're green because it takes two or three weeks, a bell pepper, let's say, when it's full-sized and still green. From that point, it's about two to three weeks before it turns red. So I pick the first bell peppers when they're green and then allow the later ones to turn red so that there's more production. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah, I've seen customers over and over again come in and say, oh, I don't want the green bell pepper, I want the red bell pepper. Well, they're the same thing. Every pepper turns color as it matures. So taste is different. A green pepper has a certain sharp, tangy flavor, and when it turns red, it's much sweeter and much higher in nutrients. So that isn't to say green is bad. It just has a different flavor, and it's still nutritious, but just not as nutritious. Yeah, and I just find that, like, even just me harvesting or eating peppers, I seem to be able to digest better a sweeter pepper or a red pepper, yellow pepper over a green pepper. Yeah, I don't know about digestion. That might be true. I don't really know anything about that, but I like the flavor of both. So sometimes in a salad, I'll just do mix both. them up together. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And how about food? Do we still need to keep fertilizing our plants? And how long would you recommend continuing to do that with your vegetable garden? I definitely continue fertilizing through Labor Day for sure, and even longer, depending on what you're growing. But, you know, we use a granular fertilizer usually. If you need a quick fix, that is to say, if you say, you come back from vacation, let's say, and you think, oh, my plants look a little peaked. They look a little yellow. They look a little discolored. If you want a quick fix, use a liquid. It's a little like if you are ill and you go to the doctor and let's say they give you a pill, it might take hours or even days before the pill takes effect. But if they give you a shot of something, you know, that takes effect usually very quickly. So a little I, booster for your plant. <laughs> I like to think of it in those terms. So if the plant needs something immediately, then I give a liquid fertilizer and then the granular takes longer for the plant to absorb and, and to get into it and be of use. So I usually do both. Kind of like a double whammy. Yeah, right, right. Well, I always say everybody likes to eat and I feel like our plants benefit from that too. Is that something that you recommend? Are you doing every week, every two weeks, every time you water? 
That um, seems doable. Not every time. I'm probably applying some kind of fertilizer every 10 days. It could be a liquid or a granular, and I use different types of fertilizer. I tried to use a tomato fertilizer or a vegetable fertilizer for tomatoes, something with some calcium, preferably, and most tomato fertilizers have added calcium. But I don't have any one brand that I use over another. In the liquid, I use the Algal Plus, but in the granular, there's several different ones that are certainly good, and so I don't... What's that one that's sitting right next to you? <laughs> oh, right now, I just have some Job's here. This is... Uh, that a, that's a granular, yeah? Yeah, this is granular, and you don't need too much on a plant, you know, uh, sort of more or less a handful approximately, and uh, that's the one I've been using this year, but, you know, it's just, I don't, like I say, I don't really have a, a real preference. I always encourage people, it's never too late, so even though the excitement of maybe the early spring and getting the plants in your garden, we've moved into a new time, but gardening's the number one hobby in America, and what a blessing. I love to wake up early in the morning with my cup of coffee and walk through the garden check on things, you know, keep fertilizing, keep the trimming, the cup or fungicide that you talked about. Of course, with the tomatoes is important. Yeah, I just like to walk through the garden every morning with my cup of coffee and just see what's new and what looks interesting out there and tend to them and kind of examine them. Because if I had the thing on automatic watering or automatic fertility or automatic everything, to me, that's not gardening. It's being out there and intermingling with the plants is what's fun. And that's how you learn. And so to me, that's a daily routine and I very much enjoy I have to ask, because people love to hear Milliger history, is there anything that grandma and grandpa, Dan and Joan Milliger, really enjoyed growing or had great success in their own garden or something maybe that you were in charge of? Well, I guess one tomato story I can think of is when they built the first greenhouse, it was a glass greenhouse. And instead of everything being on the ground, the benches were built up at roughly waist height and they were made out of redwood. The benches had sides on them and they were filled with soil. So the whole bench had a layer of soil in it that was, I'm not sure how deep, maybe eight inches deep or so. And up and down these benches, this was approximately a hundred foot long greenhouse. There were 50 feet on each side of the main aisle. And uh, in those benches then were planted the tomato plants. The idea was to sell the fruit locally. And that was our first crop, tomatoes. And so uh, up and down each side were the rows of tomatoes and they would grow up to the ceiling. They were indeterminate. They grow up to way up like six, eight feet high. And they were held up there with a piece of twine. So they would get up to a certain height and then they would find the twine. And I mean, I was only a little kid, so I really wasn't paying real close attention, but that was how they were held up. Then, you know, tomatoes are self-fertilizing. They're self-fertile. They don't really need insects, although insects are good for additional fertility. You can get perfectly good results without the insects. Anyway, you do have to shake the pollen. So you'd go through and shake each plant every day when they're in bloom. That was one of the jobs that I could do as a little, you know, about a <laughs> seven, old were you, seven? seven or so. Yeah, yeah I, I would go through and just shake each plant. And then supposedly that would help the pollen get distributed onto the normal routine of uh, so anyway, but you know, frankly, that didn't work out so well, that whole project. I mean, we got tomatoes and we did sell them, but I don't think it was very profitable. So um, uh, we, we, we dropped that after, I think, just one year. Then we went into bedding plant production and started growing things like that. Wow. I wish there was a picture of that just to see. I was thinking about all those tomatoes and then being hung up there with twine. I was afraid you were going to say that the whole greenhouse, you know, collapsed or something like that. Right. Well, nothing like that. No, but if you picture the plant, the base of the plant was at waist high and it went up six feet or eight feet from there. So you'd need a ladder to be picking. So you had to move the ladder constantly down the aisle to pick the fruit. 
And so that was a big project. And, you know, at that time, this was 1960, I don't even know what we got for him. Maybe it was 20 cents a pound or less, you know. You were doing a lot of work for not a lot of money. You probably could have made more money just doing maybe a greenhouse tour. <laughs> maybe a little education from Kevin on how to pollinate. Yeah, it could be, um, yeah. But it was an experience, and it shows you how much, at least at that time, how much work there is to growing something and to making a living off of it is not so easy. True, true. Well, I'm really excited for this time of year, and then as we transition into fall, of course, something's always growing here at Milliger's. Are there any plans for fall production of different varieties or what people should be continuing to plant in their vegetable gardens? Yeah, we do have a fall crop of greens, which will be available in about a month, right around September. First, that's our fall greens to grow program. And I can't remember exactly how many varieties, but it's mostly lettuce, but there's some other things like spinach in there as well. And there's probably about a dozen or maybe 15 varieties that will be available. So you can plant them at that time and you can usually harvest them right up through even into November, especially the spinach and maybe the Swiss chard. Those are the ones that will last the longest, but there's plenty of lettuce. There's all kinds of things to be harvested. The other thing I would do would be to plant some radishes at this time because radishes can be a great fall crop and keep evenly watered and you'll get a great harvest. Is that something you get from seed? Is that pretty quick? Or? Yes, radishes can really only be done from seed. They can't be transplanted. I suppose it's possible, but it's not a good idea. So just plant the seed, plant it thinly. A lot of times you hear the garden rule for radishes to sow the seed and then thin it out later. And I always think, why not just sow it thinner so that you don't have to get down on your knees and right, be doing it all over again and uh, picking away at it, thinning it out. But you don't you don't want them too close together. That's trouble. So I did that once with carrots, <laughs> and they just came out looking crazy. They were all wrapped around each other and. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's, kind of, it's kind of a mess. So you want to avoid that with those root crops. Definitely. Well, I'm really excited. I love when the fresh lettuce comes out and spinach, especially Swiss chard is one of my favorites because in the heat of the summer, we really just took out our lettuce right now because it's, it just got too hot. Flavor's not good. They love those cooler temperatures, of course, cooler evenings, those kinds of things. Yeah. If you want greens in the summer, it's very hard to do lettuce. That's why in some cases we recommend putting it in an area with part shade for if you have a spot like that for the middle part of the summer because in some place where you can keep the soil wet so we like to keep it mulched to hold that and keep the roots cool as possible it's quite a challenge to keep it tasting good and looking good through the summer months so the swiss chard is the answer to that because that will tolerate the heat and will provide you with greens and a lot of color as well yeah the color and the nutrition is one of my absolute favorites it's awesome well, thanks so much. Thanks for the veggie encouragement. And uh, we'll talk with you soon once all those fall crops are here and we can give everyone a highlight tour of all the varieties that are going to be available. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. If you have any veggie questions, you can email Kevin at, or Mr. T, at Kevin at Milligers.com. We'll talk to you soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast. Be sure to hit the subscribe button to stay up to date on all the latest information and happenings here at Milligers can find out more details about our events on our website at milligers.com. We would love to hear from you. Send us your suggested topics and questions to me at gardengirl at milligers.com. Thanks again for listening and just keep growing.